Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and this episode is Q&A number 14. I hope you had a wonderful Christmas and are getting ready for a great new year. Remember that for these Q&A episodes, you can send in your questions to my email, michael at scientifictriathlon.com, and that's Michael with a K, or send them on Facebook Messenger. There's a widget on my website, scientifictriathlon.com, where you can just pop in your question and send it over, and I'll put it in the waiting line to get answered on one of the future Q&A episodes coming up. Before we get into today's questions, let's thank our sponsors. First, we have Stack that you can find on stackzero.com. That's S-T-A-C, zero spelled out, dot com. They make the world's quietest indoor bike trainers. They use magnets rather than a resistance flywheel, and that also saves your tires. You don't have any unnecessary wear and tear. You don't need to worry about having a separate indoor trainer tire on all those sorts of things. I remember when I first started training indoors in the early days of my triathlon career, I did in fact used to have an indoor training tire, and but I didn't have any spare wheels, which was kind of stupid. But then whenever I wanted to go outside on the weekends to ride, for example, I was actually changing the tire from indoor riding to outdoor riding, and that was just a huge time waster for me. So the Stack Smart Trainers or the Stack Bicycle Trainers in general, whether they're smart or not, they help you avoid that sort of situation. You can use the promo code DATTRAFLONSHOW, all one word, all caps, to get 20% off whichever trainer model you choose on stackzero.com. And thank you to Roka that you can find on roka.com. Remember, since a few months back, they now have distribution through the UK and EU, so no more uh, import taxes or other duties when you order in the EU or UK. Uh, Just go to roca.com and you can click through to the regional website or it can actually detect you automatically if you have location uh, available on the computer or mobile phone, wherever you browse the website. You can check out their wetsuits, trisuits, buoyancy shorts, which I am now a massive fan of, having started using them more and more in training, and all sorts of other apparel and gear that uh, you can use in training and racing to find faster, which is Roka's hashtag. Get 20% off your entire order with the promo code DATTRIATHLONSHOW, all one word, all caps, on roka.com. Today's first question is from Josef in the United Kingdom. Joseph Joseph writes, Hi Michael, I'm a beginner runner and I have recently bought a road bike. I am 36 years old and close to my third anniversary of running. About a year ago I started structured running instead of leaving the front door as fast as I can and then fading throughout the miles. I did too much too soon and developed shin splints which which, uh, forced me to take time off from running. With the help of a physio I am slowly ramping up the miles in a base building phase for a half marathon at uh, March on the 19th of March. My mileage will top out at 47 miles per week at the peak of the plan. It's a Pitzinger, Pete Pitzinger running plan, which by the way, I am a huge fan of his running plans. They're really, really good. I've used them myself in my running days. Uh, Josef goes on to write, I am frustrated with the loss in fitness from taking time off and reducing volume due to the injury. So I plan to limit this by adding cycling as cross-training, which I have found i also enjoy to help with training volume without additional impact i have my road bike on the turbo trainer the question is do i mirror the type of periodized workouts base lactate threshold vo2 max that i do on running on the bike as well 
Or do I do the opposite to achieve more volume, but overall balanced intensity across two disciplines when looking at weekly volume overall? Thanks, Josef. All right, Josef, thank you for this question. It's a really good one. What what I recommend that you do is, uh, no matter which phase of your periodization you are in, uh, I recommend that you always do your quality workouts on the run when running is the main goal for you, which it is. Which it is. So, so in your lactate threshold phase, you will do your lactate threshold workouts on the run. In the VO2 max phase, you will do those on the run. And I know this is the uh, traditional linear periodization that Fitzinger uses in most of his training plans. So, and again, as I said, I'm a huge fan of them. I think they work really great. I would just use, and but even in the base phase, you will have quality workouts, although they are less intense than uh, than the later stages of the plan. And I don't remember exactly what Fitzinger uses, but he at least, at the very least, you'll have some speed work, leg speed like strides, and the potentially hill sprints and the likes, maybe some tempo runs even. So, so you will have some quality, and regardless, you will be working constantly to gradually ramp up your volume in in a careful manner so that you don't get injured again. So so that being said, I think that uh, you should not do much, if any, quality or hard training on the bike. Just use the bike for like, building up your volume and having extra aerobic endurance training in your program. And this, again, is especially true in those later stages of the plan when uh, when you have a lot of intensity on the run. But I would say that even, even now, as you're getting back into the base phase, you want to be careful not to do too much too soon. So I wouldn't necessarily worry about adding intensity on the bike. That being said, uh, I would try to hit a heart rate on the bike. I would try to go at a steady endurance pace, but at a heart rate that corresponds to your running zone two, potentially even high running zone two heart rate. And that may force you to go into what would be your zone three biking zone, because heart rate is usually lower on the bike than on the run. And this is to make sure that you maximize your cardiovascular base and how that crossover effect from uh, cycling to running plays out in your favor. So, uh, so that's that's basically it. Remember that specificity is key. And uh, even though I think that over a long time, like for triathletes that have been at this for years, there are definitely great crossover effects, or at least some crossover effects from hard bike training that can help with running. But again, I do think that this is a process that takes years for you and your half marathon in March. I don't think that you will have seen that big an impact. So to get the biggest return on the running that you do do, make sure that you at least get in the quality workouts on the run and limit the running volume to what you can safely handle at this point in time and build volume, additional volume on the bike because it is uh, an endurance sport and cardiovascular fitness is a huge part of it. There is no reason why you can't build cardiovascular fitness on the bike as well as the run. So to sum up, I think this means overall balanced intensity, as you say, but not necessarily going hard in the beginning phases of your plan, even though you have less hard runs than you will have in the later stages. So I hope this helps Josef. My, the next question is from uh, Bertrand in uh, Belgium. He writes, Hi, Michael. Thanks a lot for your awesome podcast. I am a long-distance runner. Marathon is my favorite distance, especially the training part. Yeah, running a marathon is, is not always that fun. <laughs> I agree with that. Uh, I'm now initiating a switch to triathlon with an Ironman in sight for 2020. 
Before that, I wanted to race a half marathon with a 100% focus on running. That will be for the middle of May. I'll follow a plan that peaks at around 135 kilometers per week that I know is a bit too tough for me. So I was thinking of doing all my recovery runs on the bike with the double advantage of time on the saddle and higher volume of quality running compared to a lower volume running only plan. What do you think of that? So uh, yeah, uh, I really like that idea. It's similar to the previous question. Uh, I think uh, this is the way you want to go, have the quality on the run and uh, get that cardiovascular fitness in on the bike. Uh, that said, if you're, you're skipping your zone one runs, your recovery runs, that might mean that you go at uh, zone two heart rate on the bike to make sure that that heart rate sort of matches your, your running zone one heart rate that you would have had in those recovery runs. Uh, because otherwise, if you go really super easy on the bike, it might be that you don't really get your heart rate up enough for the cardiovascular fitness to, to really manifest itself in, in running crossover effects. So, so that's just the one caveat. But, uh, but other than that, yeah, I think that you're absolutely on the right track with, with that. Just keep that in mind with, with the heart rate and, and matching the bike heart rate to what you would have experienced on the run. So uh, Bernard goes on to write, continue the question with, after that race and one week of recovery, I'll have six weeks to prepare for a B race, Olympic distance triathlon, then 10 weeks for my second A race, 70.3 in France. Assuming I'll be in peak running fitness at the beginning of those 16 weeks of triathlon training, how would you maintain that running fitness while giving priority to bike and swimming training? Only run at race pace in brick workouts or do mostly recovery runs and all the quality in bike swimming? Thanks in advance and many thanks for that triathlon show. Uh, all right, so uh, how to maintain running fitness after you reach a peak like that and then want to focus on swimming and and uh, biking which makes sense to do definitely uh, the way i would go about it is to try to still retain uh, frequency in terms of how often you run each week the total volume can drop very significantly from your 136 kilometer peak week uh, you don't even go need to go remotely near that uh, if you have okay i know you'll replace some of that running with cycling but still uh, you can go significantly lower Perhaps, but I would still try to run at least 30, maybe 40, 45 kilometers, depending on how much time you have for training overall. But it can be done in mostly a bit shorter runs, including one or two brick runs per week. That's uh, fine and that's great for time management. You get sort of two workouts in, in the time of one. And as for intensity, yes, I agree. One weekly brick run with race intensity you can start that as intervals and then bridging to more and more continuous race intensity brick runs. That is uh, one key workout that I would certainly have in that program. And uh, I would also try to include one other quality run workout per week. And that would be what I would consider a light intensity or maintenance intensity run workout for the most part, especially if you, uh, since you're new to triathlon and uh, you're you're not used to having to manage to balance all three disciplines uh, i think that making it a light intense workout is the best way to go because you you will still maintain quite a lot of fitness and get that sort of boost but you won't tax yourself as much as you would if you did a full-on all-out intense workout and uh, to give you an example 
in your half marathon build when you do vo2 max workouts you might do something like five or six times three minutes basically all out so vo2 max intensity that is an incredibly hard workout incredibly beneficial and rewarding if you if you manage to do it and and recover from it but when you turn that sort of vo2 max workout into into a light intensity workout you would drop the total time at intensity by one third to one half so instead of having 15 to 18 minutes at vo2 max intensity you would perhaps have 7.5 to 10 minutes of total intensity or time at intensity and and also reduce the length of the intervals to avoid lactate buildup and do shorter intervals this is something we'll talk about very soon with paul larsen uh, in in an upcoming interview on interval training so for example you might do instead of replacing a six times three minutes uh, via two max repeats you would do 15 times 30 seconds on 30 seconds off and that would give you seven and a half minutes at vo2 max intensity but it would be infinitely easier and faster to recover from than five to six times three minutes and uh, and i think that this will still it probably won't it, it won't improve your fitness it won't be a big enough boost for that at your the fitness that you will carry from that half marathon but it will give you a significant boost in terms of maintaining a lot of that fitness uh, so I think that uh, none of the runs that you do on this sort of protocol, maintaining run frequency, having total volume in, let's say, the range of 35 to 40, maybe 45 kilometers at most, uh, that uh, that combined with these light intensity workouts, having one of them per week, that would uh, that would definitely be enough to maintain not peak fitness, but trying to keep, but maintaining close to peak fitness at least on the run, and it would allow you to emphasize. The both volume and quality on bike and swim training so so you would do that but without neglecting the run that's the way that i would go about it so hope this helps and good luck in your transition to to triathlon bertrand okay final question for today hi michael i listened to your podcast uh, about sweat loss and the cooling effect uh, and this uh, refers to the recent one with uh, with andrew buckrell from stack uh, the question I, I will link to that in the show notes by the way the question I was left with is if any of these commercial products work that say they wick, wick the sweat from your body faster and cause it to cool down faster, such as headbands, arm covers, or triathlon suits made of special material. Any thoughts? Respectfully, Jason Key. So I actually asked Andrew about this when uh, we talked after the podcast and after your question came in. And uh, the bottom line is they probably do work in... Uh, drier environments but not in extremely humid environments like kona being an extremely humid environment they probably wouldn't add an additional benefit there but in a drier climate like arizona they probably would the reason is and the idea here is that these materials these garments they help distribute the sweat across a larger surface area so instead of having a lot of sweat on one particular part of the body let's say your back for example perhaps if you're cycling and you have your your back towards the sun then your back will sweat a lot more than uh, than the front of your body but these wicking materials they will help distribute that sweat and also have them have them be distributed evenly over the entire body or the entire garment at least uh, so this would uh, allow for maximization of evaporative cooling but as we discussed in the episode with with andrew in very humid environments, that evaporative cooling is so compromised anyway that uh, this effect probably doesn't help you much. But 
in a drier environment when if you can redistribute the sweat and uh, then it will allow you to have more evaporative cooling so it probably will help that is uh, what i got from my my follow-up discussion with andrew on the topic so hope this helps Finally, I have another question, but one top coaching tip for 2019. This is actually my best tip that I can that I could come up with for preparing for a great 2019. And it's about the most important training objective that you can have to help you achieve your triathlon goals, whatever they may be. And this tip is the following. First, find out how many hours you trained in 2018. Go and look at your training log. If you're using Training Peaks, for example, whatever software you're using, it should be very easy to just filter for all your 2018 workouts and get the statistics. How many hours did you train? Then translate that to how many hours did you train on average each week? So you will have your weekly average for 2018. Uh, let's say it's 10 hours. Add 0.5 to 1.0 hours to that. So you would go shoot for a 10.5 to 11 hours per week and make it your objective to hit that number of hours per week on average for 2019. Note that I'm saying on average. This probably means that you will have uh, some weeks that are quite a bit uh, quite a bit larger and some that are quite a bit lower as you probably had in 2018 as well. And that is the next point actually. If you look at the distribution of your weekly hours for 2018, so you have a diagram where you can see the hours each week so you'll have 52 bars and you'll see how some of them are very high and some of them are very low and there are some weeks where you have no bar at all because you didn't train and we've discussed this it's good to have a couple of weeks of non-structured training or no training at all that's totally fine but you don't want to have too many of those weeks uh, but you will probably find periods outside of that scheduled time off when your training was much lower than what your average was and this means that uh, if you can just make those uh, th those troughs less pronounced compared to the peaks and the average, then you're essentially there. You don't. You probably don't even need to change how much you trained in your regular base, your regular build periods for a race. So let's say the last ten weeks before a race, you you were pretty consistent training twelve hours per week. You don't need to change that for 2019, as long as you can make those troughs significantly less pronounced that will probably be enough to make sure that you can get those 0.5 to 1 hour per week in additional training time in 2019. In other words, you're not trying to raise the ceiling here, you're trying to raise the floor and make those troughs come up towards the average. As we discussed in episode 120, which I still think is probably the most important episode I've ever done on the podcast, so if you haven't listened to it, you have to listen to it. It's called Siler's Hierarchy of Endurance Training Needs. And in that, I cover why training volume is the number one priority for improving endurance performance. It is the bottom of the pyramid. It's the most important foundational layer on which you build your fitness. Of course, you need to be smart and structured with what you do with that volume. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be that. But if you can be smart and structured on 11 hours per week on average compared to 10 hours per week on average, then that's going to be a big, big, big advantage for you. So to give you a personal example of how I go through this exercise for myself, my average for 2018 was 15 and a half hours of training per week. So I'll make it my target, my objective to get that to 16 and a half hours of training per week in 2019. 
and I won't change anything from my regular training weeks that I'm doing now already in uh, for 2019, even though this will count to my 2018 statistics. But for the last three weeks or so, I've been in 2019 training mode. And uh, and if anything, I will make my peak weeks lower volume than they were in 2018 uh, because I probably did a bit too much in the peak weeks in the 2018 and I don't think I gained a lot of extra benefit from that. But what I will change is really doing everything I can to not get injured because I was injured for some time last year, for a long time on running. And this in itself, if I can manage that, will already be enough to reach my goal if I don't get injured. Of course, there's never any certainty with that. I I did a lot to not get injured last year. I did strength training. Uh, I probably didn't do as much uh, massages and other things that I should have been doing before getting injured. I started doing that after getting injured and kept doing that after being recovered. So I'll keep doing that. That is one thing that I will definitely change. But uh, my point here is we can never 100% control injuries. There is an element of luck in there as well. But what I feel that I can control to very close to 100%, at least 90%, is to not get overtrained. Because I did miss a fair chunk of training with that as well, having to take a few days off here because I didn't feel right. I had to recover completely because I was so 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 low down in the well. And I did that on several occasions, and that all adds up. And I know much more about my body this year and what sort of training... I respond well to and what I don't respond well to. So I feel very confident that I won't have this situation next year. And this alone will probably help me to get to at least, it will at least get me halfway there to that training hour objective if I can just avoid those uh, troughs that I had because of the overtraining. So for you, have a look at 2018. You already have a look at had a look at the chart. But then the next step is to consider what is your training kryptonite? What, what was it that caused you to not train those weeks that you did not train or didn't, didn't train as much as you would have wanted to? Do you get sit, sick a lot or do you have motivational lapses or is it work that gets really stressful? Figure out what made you have those, uh, d- those bumps in the road on your training journey in 2018 and prepare and plan, do as much as you can to try to avoid them in 2019, whatever it may be. That is my best training tip for 2019 for you. And that, that is, again, it's relating to, it's not a hack, it's a big volume thing, which are the most important things that you could possibly consider when it comes to your triathlon training. I hope that you enjoyed this episode and found it useful. Uh, I also hope that you listened to Monday's episode with my coaching partner, James Teagle, who is uh, coaching for the Scientific Triathlon brand now. Uh, If you did not, go and check it out for sure. You will learn what training as an elite triathlete looks like. And you will also get a direct look in at how both of us view and approach our coaching. And how we try try to make our coaching the best in the coaching industry. Uh, James does have slots available if uh, you are interested in that. So check out the information that we have on the coaching page on scientifictriathlon.com. It's also linked to in the episode description. And if you want to learn more, then the next step would be to set up a no-obligations call just to find out if it would be a good fit for you. Finally, big thanks to our sponsors, Eroka, that you can find on eroka.com. Use the promo code DATTRIATHLONSHOW, all one word, all caps, for 20% off. And thank you to Stack, that you can find on stackzero.com. Use the promo code DATTRIATHLONSHOW, all one word, all caps, for 20% off any of their bike trainer models. 
Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.